to pitch. We're going to miss. Suck him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball. It's Wednesday, May the 24th, 2017. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you this week by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And Chet, what has happened to the Phillies, and is there any hope for 2017? But hey, on a better note, we'll be talking some Eagles tonight with OTAs underway, Sixers, a little Flyers discussion as well. I'm going to withhold my answer about the Phillies until after we talk with our guests this evening, Bill. And regarding the Eagles, it's only May, but, yeah, there are already some issues we need to address in terms of the birds and a couple of big names missing in action. Well, hey, let's get right to it. Let's welcome back one of my very favorite guests. And it's, it's not as much about her Philly sports work, which has always been great, but it's for her passion for a cause that she supports. And so let's get right to it. Let's welcome Leslie Goodell back to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable. Welcome, Leslie. Hi, gentlemen. How are you? Great. Doing great. Hey, Leslie, uh, this is Chet. Thanks so much for – oh, yeah, thanks so much for joining us again. This is your third visit. We have loads of Phillies questions for you, plus we'll get an update on Kendall's Crusade and a big event coming up this summer on that front. So – Let's get started. Uh, at the beginning of the season, Leslie, Bill and I made our Phil's predictions for 2017. He said 76 okay. wins. I was a little more optimistic. I predicted an 80-win season, one game under 500, two games under 500, I guess. Right now, the Phil's are our worst in the majors, 15 and 29, and neither of our predictions is looking too good. So can this team get back on track? What do you think? Well, I think it's going to be a long road, but I also think you don't lose at this clip all year long any time. Uh, they had a horrible June last year, you may remember. Uh, I, I, looked, I always go back to, and, and there's no comparison because the pitching staffs are different, but the Astros were 15 and 30 in the end of May uh, back in 2005 and went to the World Series. Now, do I think the Phillies are going to turn around and go to the World Series? No, but do I think that they uh, – you know, they pull something together and then start a run. Yeah, I think that they're, you know, this is not going to be the team we're going to see all year. But I think what we're seeing is we're seeing that they have some big holes and they don't have all that they thought they had or hoped they had. Um, and there's some, there's some guys that need a, a lot of work. Yeah, now, if my math is correct, the Phillies lost 10 of 12 before Pete McCann got a contract extension, and they've lost 10 of 12 since the extension. But they're getting they're getting blown out a lot lately, which is not encouraging. This team was eleven and nine at one point, and they've gone I guess four and twenty since then. What are the biggest deficiencies that you're seeing? Yeah, Chad, I know you want to blame this on Pete. I saw what you wrote on Facebook, but this isn't all Pete's fault. Um, Pete is Pete is uh, actually I think a terrific manager. I think he's really found a great way to strike a balance with this team, and you can't make people play hard you can't make guys play harder um you can try to motivate them as much as possible but this is a team that there's there's a lot of holes in it 
I mean, Michael Saunders was a 207. Um, he had a 207. He has a 207 career batting average with runners in scoring position. That's a career batting average with runners in scoring position. Yikes. You're not seeing numbers with Michael Saunders that are much different than the numbers we saw at the end of last year. Uh, Howie Kendrick has been out of the lineup. Howie Kendrick and Michael Saunders were brought here for uh, you know a couple of reasons, and, and most importantly to really bring some professional at bats to this lineup to show these guys how to be a little bit more patient, to be better hitters, and just to what it's like to be a professional. And I think that they've done that to a certain degree. And I think that they have, um, I you know, I think that in the beginning of the year when they were both in the lineup, that presence was there. So, you know, I, I, not having Howie in that lineup hurts them and in, in that in that regard, but – at this point, with Clay Buckholtz, Howie Kendrick, and Michael Saunders, your three big signings or, or trades are, are a bust at this point, in my opinion. So, you know, you can't really get too much more out of them um, than, than you're getting right now until you get Howie back. I mean, I'm saying in terms of the veterans, um, until Michael Saunders figures it out and, um, and Howie Kendrick gets back in the lineup. Well, Leslie, the thing that concerns me the most – is the the two guys that they appear that they were going to try to build this club around of Dubal Herrera at 238, Mikel Franco at 221, and, and quite frankly, both have been awful. Yes, well, so Mikel Franco needs to learn how to make adjustments. They he is see, he is seeing um, like the sixth least amount of fastballs in the majors this year, less than he saw last year. I think it's like 46 percent. And he was hitting 300 against the with a, a, a forcing on the forcing fast, fastball last year. So you know they, this is a guy who he, they know to throw um, low and outside to him, and he's got to make an adjustment. And until he makes that adjustment, he's not going to see any more fastballs, and he's going to see a lot of balls low and outside, and he's not going to be able to hit them. So that's that's on him to figure that one out. And as far as Odubel Herrera. I liken him to Hunter Pence. He's a bit spastic. I think you're going to see that out of Oduble his whole career. I think that's sort of who he is. He's like this goofy kid who's out in the field and playing and having fun. And, you know, I just think it's him. And I don't think we're going to see somebody who's very different. I think he's going to be very up and down his whole career. Well, well, you know, it's interesting comment about Franco because – you know, you look at they've they've changed hitting coaches. They brought Matt Stairs in, and it appeared that we were off to a real fresh start. And everybody was talking well about Stairs and about how the team was swinging the bats. But now that has all gone the other direction. And how how much is Matt Stairs or any hitting coach able to talk to Mikel Franco at the professional level and say, "Son, you you've got to do some things different and get him to understand," or or we beyond that. But he did that. He did that in spring training. And then he gets in the game and somebody else comes out. So, you know, I, I think it's really hard to pin these things on coaches. It's easy to do it when they're not going well, and they certainly don't get the credit when they, when they are going well. And I think that there's a um, – I think that there's there's a lot of strides that Frank, I mean that um, Matt Stairs has made and uh, get, you know communicates well with the guys. But I think it's it, you know it's what do they have when they get out there on the field? What do they have in them? And you know when things don't go well, it snowballs. Just like when things do go well. So I think uh, right now things aren't going well, and everybody looks bad except Tommy Joseph. 
Right. Now, everybody wants to see the kids come up from Lehigh Valley. Now, Leslie, you and Glenn Mack now do a great weekly podcast called Inside Corner. I've checked out several episodes, and you recently talked with an Allentown reporter about the many highly regarded prospects at AAA Lehigh Valley, Reese Hoskins, J.P. Crawford, Dylan Cousins, Jorge Alfaro, etc. From from what I recall, he felt that only Hoskins is truly close to being ready for the big leagues right now. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, Tom Hasnick of the Allentown yeah. Morning Call uh, was was great and and really saying, I know everybody's excited, but you know it's not like these guys are ready to just jump into the big leagues. And when there's no one to show the way, that's why I emphasize. Howie Kendrick and uh, and Michael Saunders and you need people to show the way to young players. If they don't have a leader and they don't have somebody who's going to teach them, then then how are they going to get there? So it's not on the coaches and the manager to make that happen. You have to have veteran leadership. Every good club, no matter how how young they are, has at least one or two veterans in there that's showing the way. And so why would you bring up a bunch of young players that are still trying to learn and get at bats? where they would not get at bats on a regular basis. And you, I mean, they're not professional baseball, but they're not major league baseball players yet. So, I mean, this is a process that, uh, that you have to go through. And until you get, um, until you get somebody like, you know, that, that there's some consistency within the club and somebody is ready to make that move, then, you know, you can't do it for the sake of just doing it. What concerns me is that, you know, I, I've said this all, all this year, is there's no star on this team. There's nobody sort of leading that way, um, the, somebody who, who drives the offense. Uh, and, and I don't see any, a bunch of stand, any standouts at the minor league level. I know Scott Kingery has certainly um, opened some eyes and been a bright spot at AA Reading. But, you know, aside from that, there's just not anybody who really jumps out at you. And there's a lot of really good players, but no real great player. Everybody's like, okay, when's he going to get here? Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's bounce back to the to the pitching staff a little bit because they have pretty much completely fallen apart with these young guys who look like they had a ton of potential, and now they all have ERAs at five or worse. Um, you know, other than Jeremy Hellickson, of course, Aaron Nola's been a little banged up, and Pat Neshek, uh there's been really nothing that's come out of that, that uh, pitching staff. You know, Bill, there hasn't been, and I don't even know what to say about that. It's like Aaron Nola is uh, – Aaron Nola and Jared Eikhoff were the two guys who – and, well, Jeremy hellickson has been great. I mean, I think everybody talks about, oh, this is great. He's perfect to, you know, trade him at the trade deadline. He's young. He's 29, 30 years old. I think he's 30. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, what's the matter with signing him to a deal that keeps him in a, in your rotation going forward? Uh, are you really going to get that much for Jeremy Hellickson? Um, yeah, I, I, I like him in there. He gives, He's actually the one that's given some consistency to the starting rotation. Uh, you know, Aaron Nola, I know for a fact, uh, because we had him on our show the night before he went on the disabled list, this was very unexpected to him. Uh, he didn't think it was that big of a deal at the time. And he, uh, you know, he he was out a little bit longer than I think he expected to be. But you know, the, people talk about injuries and all that with him. He's had one injury to his arm, and it was non-surgical. So I think it's hard to say that he's going to spend his life being injured because um, you hear people talk and they say, oh, he's already had some injuries. Well, he had uh, something happened to his back which is not, you know, was, was more of a tweak than it was anything and a precaution in keeping him out. And then he had the, um, the arm, which was non-surgical. So I think before we worry that Aaron Nola is going to spend his life on the disabled list, 
you know, it hasn't been anything detrimental at this point, but it's certainly taken him out and, and thrown the balance off of that rotation. And then Jared Eikhoff is just having some mechanical issues right now. And you can see it in his face on the mound and he's frustrated and he'll get back. He's, I, I worry very little about Jared Eikhoff, but I think you're going to see, uh, you know, those two be consistent and, and be solid in this, a solid foundation for this rotation for a long time. Beyond that, you know, Vince Velasquez is, um, he's a work in progress. He's got really great stuff. He should not be moved to the bullpen. He's far too early in his career to give up on him and to not try to get through to him and work on him understanding better exactly how to be a smart pitcher and not just a thrower. And I think that there's potential there and he wants it. So, you know, I think that long-term you have three really solid guys that are in your possession and, and, you know, potentially if they decided to keep Helix in four, but I just think something needs to happen to make people interested and excited about this team. There's way too much work to do right now. Hey, I want to follow up on Velasquez. He's made eight starts this year, 43 innings, so he's only averaging five and a third innings per start. And as you know, he's got good stuff, but the ERA is at 5.98. It takes him 100 pitches to get through five innings almost every game out there. Uh, Your podcast partner, Glenn, has lobbied for maybe putting him in the bullpen as a closer. I think I said, heard you say that you're not in favor of that. What are they going to do about Velasquez? Well, it's too early. I mean, Vince Velasquez has electric stuff. And if you could get him harnessed, as many big leaguers have become over time, um, as they learn how to pitch and not just throw, then I think we have a, a you know, really great starter on our hands. It's just getting through to him. It's something's going to click for him. He's stubborn, um, but he, he clearly has come to the realization that, that something needs to give. And I think that's a huge step in his progress. And once he gets, uh, once he figures that out, I think he'll be fine. You can't move him, in my opinion, to the closer role because your issue with the closer role is you put somebody like Hector Neris in there and he throws 20, he's got electric stuff, and he throws 25, 26 pitches to get through the ninth and gives you, the, gives you a scare every time. Vince Velasquez is going to do the same thing, taking him that many pitches to get through an inning. So what's to say that, you know, who's to say that he would get in that closer role and dominate He's got too much. He's got too much upside in the starting rotation to move him to the bullpen. At least right now. I mean, it's. I think it's way too early. Well, on a positive note, Leslie Cesar Hernandez has actually had a pretty good year. Probably been their best player, and certainly been the most consistent player. And he looked like he was a guy who was filling a spot for a youngster to come up, but he doesn't seem to want to give that spot away. Yeah, I'm sorry. Can you say that one more time? I apologize. Oh, I, I said I said Cesar Hernandez has probably been the best and most consistent player through the season, and it looked like he was just kind yes. of holding down a spot, yes. but he doesn't want to give that yeah, spot yeah. up. No, no, Cesar is um, Cesar's a hard worker. Uh, Cesar has come around to being a really great player, but his numbers recently are awful. Um, mm-hmm. So you know he's fallen off. Yeah. When you know what is he? What he's got to he's got to get back to where he feels that he uh, you know he's he's in that groove. So he's off. I mean you know what do you do with somebody like Cesar? Uh, I I think Cesar is a really nice piece in a in a lineup, but he shouldn't carry your lineup. And right, right he shouldn't carry your offense. He is not somebody who you want to put everything into. 
to carry your offense. So um, right now when he's not going well and Aaron Altair's had his ups and downs and Odubel Herrera is not hitting that all of a sudden your lineup is, is um, you, you have no offense and that should not be that way. All right, Leslie, let's switch gears now. We're going to talk about Kendall's Crusade. I'm guessing most people who listen to us and who know you already are aware of Kendall's Crusade, but for those who maybe don't know, what is it? And on a related note, how is your daughter, Kendall, doing? I know she's had some issues with the medication lately. How is she doing, and what is Kendall's Crusade? Well, I appreciate that. Jay, you guys have been very supportive of that, and I, I, that means a lot to me and our family, so thank you. Um, Kendall's Crusade is, uh, is something we put together my daughter's name. Uh, my daughter had a stroke. Kendall uh, had a stroke. To what it's, God, it's been two and a half years now. And yeah. when she had that stroke, uh, we realized or learned she has an AVM, which is a vein malformation in her brain. And she's still a stroke risk. However, we have had her treated with CyberKnife radiation, and the radiation treatment is doing its thing and slowly but surely taking away her AVM, uh, uh, blocking the crazy blood vessels that are in her brain that um, that have way too much blood flowing through them, and that's what causes the stroke. So we started this foundation to raise money for AVM research, and less than 1% of people have AVMs, but if you think of what that number means, that's a large number in the population. I stood on a, I stood on a patio the other day for an event, and um, there, it was just a neighborhood event, and there were literally between my daughter and two other people three people standing there that have all had ABMs and wow. significant issues with the ABMs. So the number's bigger than you think. Um, so we want to try to raise some awareness for it. You may remember in the World Series last year, Josh Tomlin's father is paralyzed from the waist down, and he was there after having had an incident in the summer, and – Joe Buck kept calling it a circulatory issue, and I was like, it's not a circulatory, call it an AVM, hmm. because he had an AVM and it's fine. So, you know, I, my goal is that people become aware of what AVMs are and understand that, you know, these are, these are issues that a lot of people have. They're vascular malformations, and there are, you know, not a lot of kids that they show up in, and 10 to 15% of people have catastrophic incidents without even knowing they have, uh, knowing they have an AVM and die. So my goal is to just make people aware of what the, uh, what the, what the signs are. And my daughter had no signs, but she was very fortunate in that when she did have a rupture that it wasn't so debilitating that she couldn't overcome it. She has her issues and has some has some um, has some deficits on her left side from the radiation treatment, but the fact is that you know there's people in a lot of uh, worse shape and have it a lot worse than us. So we wanted to be able to raise money and help people. And we're having our second uh, Kendall's Crusade Comedy Classic at the Valley Forge Casino on July 15th this year. Kendall'sCrusade.org is where people can buy tickets, and it was so, it was so much fun. We had a great time. Charlie Manuel came. Uh, Gary Matthews. Um, uh, Gary Maddox is there. It was just a, had about 20 friends in the broadcast business and the sports business that were there. So that was uh, the added bonus for people who came. But Craig is phenomenal. And then my daughter spoke, and, you know, she just wants people to be aware of what it is. So it's not so foreign, and she doesn't feel so out on an island. 
Well, that's awesome. Well, you had mentioned to us, Leslie, last time you were on, or the first time when, when we talked about this, about having to be treated over at Stanford uh, Medical Center. And now uh, with this latest very, I guess, unexpected episode that happened to Kendall just last month, I guess it was, uh, you ended up having to take her to a local hospital at Paoli. And, and uh, how how is that going? Are the local people becoming more educated in this type thing, and, and are they able to provide you what you need? There's actually some wonderful people at Jefferson who treat AVMs. Um, we are at Dr. Rosenwasser, Dr. Jabor, a couple others uh, on the AVM team there, and we're honoring them at our event this year because they have obliterated many uh, AVMs. They just weren't able to help our daughter, and she's, uh-huh. uh, you know, it's, it's, getting, it's getting treatment for children, and finding people who can do that kind of treatment. So even though Children's Hospital is a wonderful hospital and DuPont is a wonderful hospital, their specialty is not AVMs. And so we need to get those kids to places where they do treat them on a regular basis. And I've tried to rally and and major kudos to DuPont Hospital for listening to me and meeting with me about you know, find, being willing to give resources out to parents at hospitals where they do things that they don't typically do. Other hospitals do things they don't typically do. So they are working on a program to be able to refer ABM patients to places that can help them. So that's a huge step in the right direction, in my opinion. Um, I'd like to try to do the same at Children's Hospital. And uh, I, just, I, I just want people to have opportunities to find the treatment that they need. Hey, I heard Kendall was bummed that she didn't get braces. Yeah, she was because she can't have metal in her mouth because of MRI, so she got Invisalign. But, you know, those are the the little things in life. I think uh, all in all, we're very happy. And one of the things we're setting up at Jefferson is a patient fund. So people who maybe can't afford to get here for treatment could use that patient fund for travel expenses, which is exactly what we set up at Stanford in addition to funding research. Leslie, we'll no, let you really, uh, plug that. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Bill. I just wanted to ask one more question uh, from you, Leslie. You you mentioned in one of your posts, one of your recent posts, about the one thing you learned uh, through this last episode was not get comfortable. Uh, as, a, as a parent, as we all are, um, how do you do that? Well, I mean, you, you're always – you're always a little more aware. You're always a little more on alert. Um, you're speaking of the, the uh, focal seizures that we've learned she's having and, and, a, and a severe headache that sent us to the hospital just to double check that she wasn't having another stroke. And fortunately she was not, but you know, you have to be prepared. It's being prepared and being ready and understanding. And one of the things that's hardest for parents in any situation, especially in a rare disease like this uh, or defect is that, being prepared and being knowledgeable about something that's so complicated is all is very difficult because you're trying to just keep your head above water. So for us is being able to try to support people who are trying to understand it all at one time and take it all in. And it, it can be overwhelming. Leslie, we're just about out of time, but I have one final question totally unrelated to anything we've talked about. Um, you posted something on Facebook last week that I just have to ask about. I need the details. Twenty or so years ago, you took a crash course, pun very much intended, in auto racing and competed <laughs> in an actual race with a bunch of big-shot celebrities. Give us the particulars. 
I did. I got to I got to drive in the Long Beach Grand Prix. They have a pro celebrity race, which apparently last year was their final year, and it was phenomenal. It was such a great experience. Uh, you know, it was Jason Bateman and and Alfonso Ribeiro and and Robert Hayes and uh, and Bruce before he was Caitlyn Jenner, and uh, <laughs> yep. it was it was it was such a cool experience. We went to racing school for four days, and then. After racing school, we uh, we raced prior to the Long Beach Grand Prix, and it was a ten lap race. And in the first turn, I was doing all my, you know, handling the taking the apex and doing everything I was taught in racing school, but forgetting that we were actually racing. And Rick Schroeder tried hmm. to cut under me and T-boned <laughs> me on the passenger side, and I was like, okay, that's it. And I downshifted and ended up getting stuck in the middle. There was the front pack and the rear pack. There was a woman, Kate Linder from Young and the Restless, was waving to all the fans as she was <laughs> racing. But I got stuck in the middle, and I basically was racing by myself. I wasn't really racing against anybody for those 10 laps because of where I got stuck, thanks to Rick. I called him Ricky after that, Schroeder. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a very fun event, one of the highlights of my life for sure. And what was it that your driving instructor told your father? Oh, he told my dad I had big ovaries. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. <laughs> I, I, I get, and, and, and my dad was proud, you know. I mean, he has three girls. That's as close as he's going to get. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Well, hey, Leslie, before we let you go, uh, do you want to tell us again about the July 15th event, how people can get tickets, where it is, and all that? Yeah, sure. It's uh, org, and that's with a K, uh, Kendall's, and then Crusade with a C, dot org. And the event tickets are on our website in the top left corner. And um, donations, of course, are welcome as well. We raised $135,000 last year. We hope to exceed that amount this year. We know that's a lofty goal, but we have our 501c3, so we are a uh, tax-exempt foundation. So um, please, anybody uh, who who does donate on a regular basis, uh, please consider looking into it. I would very much appreciate it. All right, Leslie. Well, you know uh, we've told you this before. It hasn't changed. You and your family are certainly in our thoughts and prayers, and uh, we, we hope nothing but the best for you and Kendall uh, getting better. Thank you so much. And I want to say that 100% of those donations go to charity. We don't, this is nothing in our pockets. It is entirely to help other people. So I just want to be clear on that too. And thanks guys for having me. I really appreciate you letting me have a voice in this. All right. Thanks, thanks Leslie. Thank you take again care. for joining us, Leslie. Good luck. All right. Thanks guys. All right. Take care. All right. All right, always great to talk to Leslie Goodell, and we now welcome another lovely lady to the program, the bar manager at the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, Chris Gaskill. Chris, the Phillies aren't exactly setting the world on fire lately, but the good news is you can get cheap brews and some fun food at the Rover when the games are on, right? Yeah, we're still uh, rooting for them. We've got 225 Bud Giraffes, and we've got our teeter tot menu, which is delicious and a lot of fun. Hey, did I see you have something special happening for Father's Day, June 18th? Yes, our fifth annual car show will be happening that day. All cars and trucks are welcome. We have plaques for all participants. There'll be 50-50s, raffles, food, drinks, music, and all the proceeds that day benefit the Bucks County Community Foundation, who do wonderful things for uh, local families in need. Excellent. Thank you, Chris. And for when it stops raining, there's a nice outdoor patio area. It is, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com.
All right. Hey, Chet, there's a lot of discussion out there about the Sixers and the number three pick in the NBA draft and possibly trading up by offering a whole package to Boston for that number one. I just don't see any good reason to do that. Do you? I I don't see a huge talent gap between one and three to sell off a bunch of assets, as they call them. Well, I am going to disagree with you at least a little bit here, Bill. Now, I don't claim to be a college hoops expert, but from what I've read and from what I've heard from a lot of people that I do respect, including our pal Tom Moore and the Inquirer's Keith Pompey, the guy expected to go number one is a perfect fit for the Sixers. That would be University of Washington point guard Markel Fultz, who is six foot four. he's smooth, he's a pretty good shooter, 41% from three-point range, and who has indicated he would love the opportunity to play with Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and company. The issue is, you know, what would the Sixers have to give up to trade up to get the first overall pick? If it's their own pick and one of the other future first-round picks that they own, heck, throw in Jalil Okafor, too, I'd say do it. But the Celtics are likely to play hardball and demand more, and then I'd be a little more hesitant to do it. But, yeah, Fultz is a perfect fit for them. So, you know, if it's within reason, I would consider making that deal. So you're telling me that two number ones at Okafor, basically three number ones for a jump of two spots is no, a good I'm saying deal? The Sixers, I'm saying, saying the Sixers' third pick this year, you know, an even swap there, and then one of the two future picks, not two of them. That's where I don't want to give up, you know, two future first-round picks. So if you just have to give them the swap this year and the Lakers' first-round pick next year unprotected that the Sixers own – and Okafor, I would do it. But I'm not giving two of those future first-round picks away. No way. Oh, I got you. Okay. Now, I'm still not going to agree with you. I think it's too much because I'm not spending that much unless I'm getting somebody really, really special. And And I haven't heard that anybody is really, really special in this draft. There's a lot of really good players, great players, but none that are leaps and bounds above the others. Because the other thing you got to remember is when you're giving away all these number ones, you are giving them to a conference team in the Celtics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's I have a concern. Already absolutely. Three games this year. Yep, absolutely a concern. And if they don't pull off that trade with the Celtics, I wouldn't be upset if they traded down a spot or two and chose Malik Monk from Kentucky. I know some folks are consider or concerned rather that he's only six three, but Monk, from what I've seen, is the best pure shooter among the projected top five or six picks. And he's a big game guy, even though he's only 6'3". Monk averaged just under 20 points a game for Kentucky, and he shot 40% from three-point range. And personally, I think he's a much better fit with the Sixers than, say, Josh Jackson of Kansas, who is a slasher, not a good shooter, and a very poor free-throw shooter at 56%. Yeah, he's a good defender, but he's not a good shooter, and the Sixers need somebody who can shoot the ball with that team. Well, what are you going to do? I mean, it, this is this is a bit of a quadri for me because what, what's the right fit for a six ten point guard? You know what what exactly? Well, and that's the other thing. Are you after? Yeah, that's the other thing. You got to be sure Simmons is going to be successful as a six ten point guard. We don't know that for sure. It's not really the position he played in college, and he only had the limited experience doing it in uh, the summer league last year. He did look pretty good though. Great passer. Looks like he really has command of the floor out there. Um, I, from what I've seen, I think he can get the job done. He, he looks like he knows what he's doing, and as I said, he is a very good passer. So for me, the fit is 
at the other guard position, a guy who can shoot, a guy who can score the ball from outside. He doesn't have to be a slasher like Josh Jackson, who I mentioned. I want somebody like Monk, preferably a little bigger, sure, but somebody who can shoot the ball off, you know, a quick pass from Simmons. So that's what I'd like to see. Some people are down on Monk because of, A, the height, and because he's, you know, kind of one-dimensional. But if it's a dimension where he's going to be able to score the ball from outside, you know, you get him an open shot, and I think Simmons can do that, I think that's perfect. I think that is a good fit for the team. So I'd be fine with doing that. In fact, I'd rather them take Monk over Jackson, although, you know, you can trade down, like I said, probably one or two spots to get Monk. So, you know, I would consider doing that. But my first choice would be to get Fultz if they're not giving up too much. And from what I've heard, Bill, he is the one difference maker, the, the major, you know, difference maker right away in this draft compared to all the other guys. Some say LeVar Ball might be that guy too, but that's a whole other issue. Um, I like Fultz and I like Malik Monk. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, as we're looking for, for that guy, that guy that can score, um, what's your thoughts on going with a couple veterans' names who are floating around? Uh, Kyle Lowry for one, the Villanova grad, and uh, J.J. Reddick's name keeps popping up for some reason. Oh, yeah, I definitely explore all possibilities. I mean, you've got to have a little faith in Brian Colangelo, which I know is tough for a lot of people right now, including myself. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised or disappointed if they went out and got a veteran, especially with the team as young as it is. I mean, look how young this team is. Outside of, you know, Gerald Henderson and one or two other guys, this is a real young bunch of guys. So uh, a veteran presence would not be a bad thing at all. Well, and, you know, it's funny. I was thinking exactly that while Leslie was talking about the Phillies because we've had this same conversation about the Sixers, and, and you just touched on it again. You know, somebody's got to be the leader and, and make this happen. And uh, maybe Kyle Lowry at age 31 could be that guy. Yeah, and, you know, he would have some fans in this area, certainly, uh, you know, considering where he played college ball. Yeah, that's right. Well, hey, we'll be talking a whole lot more Sixers as we go, but I thought that was a good topic because it seems to be hot as all these mock drafts are starting to pop up uh, all over the place with the NBA. Yeah, the draft is four weeks from tomorrow, I believe, June 22nd. Yeah. Yes, it is. Well, hey, Chet, different subject. Last call. Time has run out, and I know we have those golfers out there that are listening and they want to have a great chance to golf and help a great cause. And as I said, their time is running out. It's this weekend. Yeah, but we are just days from the event. Hit the Links happens this Sunday, May 28th, to help traumatic brain injury survivors from McGee Rehabilitation Hospital. The Golf 4 Jackie Tournament is located at Range End Golf Club in Dillsburg, PA. That's not too far from Harrisburg. Jackie is a TBI survivor himself. He successfully rehabbed at McGee. Brian Proper rehab there after his stroke. For registration about uh, this event, for sponsorship or silent auction info, just contact McGee Rehab. The phone number is 215-587-3145 or giving at mcgeerehab.org. Yeah, it's going to be a good event. Uh, wish I could be up there for it, but I know there's been a lot of effort put into making this a success for Jackie. Well, hey, Chet, OTAs, make that voluntary OTAs, are in progress as we speak. Three players were no-shows, Donnie Jones, Jason Peters, and Fletcher Cox. Jones and Peters appear to have some legitimate reasons from what we hear, maybe because they've been in the league for so long they don't have to come. But Cox doesn't seem to. And Bob Grouts, um, Groats wrote a 
bit of a scathing article in Delaware County Times today, which is posted on our website, phillypressboxradio.com, about how Cox missing is a direct kick in the face to Doug Peterson. Thoughts? I mean, it is voluntary. Yeah, it's voluntary, Bill, but barring a serious illness in the family or some other real legitimate issue, Cox absolutely positively should be there, especially a year removed from signing a six-year, $102 million contract, $55 million of which is guaranteed. He is the highest-paid Eagle and a team leader, and it just does not look good. How the heck are his teammates supposed to be supportive of his absence? You know, they're in there in camp busting their butts while Fletcher Cox is hanging out at home binge-watching Game of Thrones or whatever it is he's doing. I'm just guessing. I don't know. Now, Bob is correct in what he wrote. Peterson stood behind Cox a year ago when he stayed away while waiting on a new contract to get negotiated. He got the big money. So right now, Cox does owe it to Peterson to show up, and he owes it to his teammates. Get that butt in camp, in OTAs. Well, I could not agree with you more. And, you know, the the Eagles brought in some youngsters and some, some free agents on that defensive line. Uh, Cox is supposed to be the leader of that group, and the leader's a no-show. It's not good. And Doug, Doug Peterson always takes the high road. He supports those guys, certainly in, in public. And, uh, and he did again, although he did say, I would certainly like for him to be here which kind of led you to believe that he didn't have an excuse other than he didn't show up. Um, I, I think it's a bad start. I really do. Yeah, and uh, he better have a good explanation because I, I don't like this at all. He should be in there, especially, you know, rookie Derek Barnett wants to you know see who he's going to be lined up against when he's uh, playing, and Cox isn't there. He should get into OTAs and, you know, be a leader like he's supposed to be. So I'm really disappointed in his decision here. Yeah, well, and, you know, we've talked and everybody has talked about the offense and, and all the weapons they've added to try to surround Carson Wentz. And we, we know that the defense is still going to be a little bit suspect and they've got to they've got to get better because uh, you, can't, you can't outscore them in that league and, you know, for long. It, it works a little bit, but not for long, and the defense has to, has to get it done. And, uh, you know, some will, some will disagree that, hey, it's not a big deal and all that, but I, I certainly can't be one of them. And, by the way, Michael Kendricks is still on the roster here at the NMA. I would have lost that bet. Yeah, Michael Kendricks is, and uh, and Jason Kelsey is too, by the way, and uh, he looks like he's holding holding down a starting spot, much to the chagrin of our buddy Frank Kolachny. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see if that holds up. We'll see. You never know. Yeah, well, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of excited to see how this whole offensive line thing plays out. You know, they they've got their five starters, and neither one are last year's draft picks. Um, you know, who both played pretty well when they played, and, and Wozniewski is not one either. So right off the bat, they have eight offensive linemen uh, that that should make them pretty good up there. Yeah, I think the O-line is going to be very good. A lot of depth, so I'm excited about that. And, you know, the fact that you have all these new weapons for Wentz, I'm excited about this team. Uh, I think they're going to be able to put up some points, and hopefully the defense will do its job. We shall see, but I know it's only May, but I'm excited about the Birds. Yeah, well, and, and one last comment. Uh, last Wednesday on our show, we, we mentioned that it was just on Wednesday that they signed that LeGarrette Blunt 
and uh, he seems to be making quite a uh, quite an impact in the locker room as well. I guess when you're carrying Super Bowl rings around with you, you can. But uh, he seems to have jumped right in and, and become part of this pretty quick. Well, yeah, as you said, he's a Super Bowl winner, and he he had a pretty good year last year, 18 touchdowns, and he ran for over 1,100 yards. So that's a pretty nice addition to have on the football team. Yep. Well, and and if he wants to fit into the locker room and be part of all that, uh, certainly we could use guys that have been there and done that. So looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Like you say, it's only May. Mm -hmm. Yep, I'm ready. Well, hey, Chet, i got to hang out a bit of dirty laundry tonight. All right? I got into a debate with a couple of friends and loyal listeners, Carl Henderson and Danny Bevins, as you know, both of about a beautiful photo Carl posted from Carl's card showing Flyers goaltending legends Bernie Perrant and Ron Hextall. I commented, one legend, one goalie. Carl and Danny took great exception to that, both telling me that Hexy was also a Philly legend. I'm not buying. Thoughts? Uh, interesting question, and here's how I see it. There are, in my opinion, degrees of legendary status. Now, Bernie, of course, is a big-time legend for the numbers he put up and for being the man in goal for the two Stanley Cup seasons. If Hexy is a legend, and he may be, but to a much lesser degree, it's for some of the memories he gave us, like scoring a couple of goals from his own crease and for not being afraid to use his fists to defend a teammate. You know, maybe his 1989 beatdown of Chris Chelios as the Flyers were being eliminated from the playoffs by Montreal is something that all Flyers fans remember, and that would make him something of a legend. So, in my view, there are degrees of legend, and Hexy is a borderline legend. So, how's that for playing both sides of the issue? Oh, I think that's weaseling is what I think. But, <laughs> hey, I'm okay with that. I, I just... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there because what Danny said was that Hextall carried the Flyers. Well, he ha- he made one All-Star team. He won one Con Smythe. He won one Vesna. He did it all in that in one year, uh, but he never did any of them again. And we never hoisted the cup uh, while he was there. So I- I'm just not buying legend. Good goalie, yeah, maybe very good goalie. Yeah, I can go with that. Great, nah. No. Legend? No, certainly not. Well, like I said, it's some of the other stuff, the, the personality and his ability, to, his desire to you know, have an occasional fight, um, his attitude. Philly loves those blue-collar guys, and that's what Hextall was. He was a blue-collar goalie, not afraid to drop the gloves, which you don't see among a lot of goalies. So I think that's one thing that people look up to when they think of Ron Hextall and what m- might make him a legend in a lot of people's minds. Now, as I said, I, I have no ill will to Mr. Hextall, but when you're comparing goaltenders to Bernie Perrant, there is no discussion. All right. Okay. Well, hey, let, we'll, we'll get some feedback, I'm sure, from Mr. Henderson and Mr. Bevins about that, so I'll be looking forward to that. Hey, Chet, let's talk some playoffs. As expected, the NBA, the Golden State Warriors, took care of their business while Cleveland has a 3-1 lead over Boston with Game 5 coming up. Not much of a surprise with those outcomes, but what do you think about all the blowouts? They were basically unwatchable games. Does a Golden State-Cleveland rematch uh, really excite you at all? Yeah, almost every time I turned one of the games on, it was a blowout. How about that Boston game uh, several nights ago when they were down by like 41 at the half? That was ridiculous. 
Um, Golden State Cleveland, we talked about this last week, and yeah, it does actually. As you noted, there have been a lot of blowouts during the playoffs, but I think we all expect that a Cavs Warriors 3 would give us some great drama, especially with Kevin Durant added to the Warriors talented group. I think it's going to be a terrific final, assuming that's what we get, and I, I think it will be, if, of course, at this point, the Cavs uh, and the Warriors. And I look forward to it. I will be watching that one for sure. I watched pretty much uh, all of last year's finals because it was a great series, and I think they're going to have a repeat this year. Well, there is a piece floating around uh, today. I saw it today, and although he is not one of my uh, favorite guys, Stephen A. Smith did a rant. I don't really want to promote him, but he did a rant um, that was talking about LeBron and Durant, and it was really, it was really good. Actually, he said neither one in in what they've done and all the things they've won and all that have ever had to play one on one against a great individual. That they've always played against teams and they've always been able to to beat them. Now it's mano a mano between these two guys, and uh, don't don't want to hear about all the other stuff. It's mano a mano, Durant. James. So, and that's going to be fun to watch. If you get a chance, try to find that it, because it's worth uh, it's a minute 40 seconds or something. It's it's well worth the time. It's pretty good. Well, yeah. I mean, it is those two guys, but there's also, you know, your Steph Curry and your Kyrie Irving and those guys too who are going to have a say in things. Yeah, they're, those guys are pretty good. So is Kevin Love. He's yeah, they're not bad. Too. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah. All right. Well, hey, let's jump over. Let's talk a little hockey. Nashville took care of their business while Ottawa and Pittsburgh get ready for Game 7. Pittsburgh went to 7 against Washington in the last series and may have played their best game of the series that night. Can they repeat it? Well, sure they can. They're a talented team and lots of playoff experience, as you know, so why not? But I'll tell you this. No matter which team comes out of the East, and I have a hunch it's going to be Pittsburgh, but we'll see, um, I have a hunch that you're in my camp on this one, Bill, that we will root for the Nashville Predators in the Cup Finals with Nashville coached by that Peter Laviolette. And speaking yep. of uh, whom, let's, uh, let's right now revisit something, okay? Uh, December 2011, because we saw this when they had the build-up to the Winter Classic and they had the HBO thing. Flyers, whoever it was, Caps, I don't know, 24-7. Peter Laviolette with a little intermission rant to his We're team. We're way better than what we just showed. Every guy in here knows it, and you should not accept it. Don't. You've got 20 minutes. You win a period, you win a game, we move on. But you need to dig in right now, every guy. Enough is enough. Start playing with some jam in here. Let's go. I just love that. <laughs> I love that, too. I love Start that, too. Start playing with some jam. Yeah, that's right. Well, hey, speaking of that, I, I didn't know you were going to play that clip, and it's great because something else I'm going to just throw in here. There was an article, again, it happened to be in the Delaware County Times uh, yesterday by Phil Heron, the editor, and he was writing about the Phillies, and I was going to post it in the website, but he had some other stuff in there too. This was just a blurb. Uh, but his comment about the Phillies it was, you get exactly what you deserve. You said Pete McCann came out at the beginning of the year and said, we hope to be a 500 club. Well, if you're only trying to win half the games or expected to win half the games, that's all you're going to win, was uh, Phil's philosophy there. And uh, 
I just found that very interesting that uh, are you playing to the level of your expectation if you're the Philadelphia Phillies? Well, right now it might take a miracle for them to get to 500. We'd be happy with that. But, yeah, I, I see the point. Uh, it's kind of setting the bar low. Uh, it, it took me – caught me a little off guard when he said that because although he's probably right that that would be a nice achievement, it's not something that you normally would say because – you don't want to settle for mediocrity, and that's obviously what 500 is. So, yeah, he probably shouldn't have said that in retrospect, but right now we'd be happy with a 500 finish. Yeah, well, and, and I, I agree. I mean, I've, I've coached a long time, and never once did I tell my team I thought, hey, let's win half the games. You know, <laughs> yeah. it would be a great year if we win half the games. Heck no, I want to win half of every minute, you know. I mean, it, it's, it was just crazy when he said it, I thought, but – you know, and and as Leslie said, as you uh, as things start to go bad, you start finding all these different things, and people are pointing this stuff out. But uh, yeah, int- I thought it was an interesting uh, article by Phil. Mm-hmm. All right, hey Chet. We, again, we want to thank each and every one that visits phillypressboxradio.com. We continue to keep it updated with our articles from the local papers, a few that we write, and you've been doing an excellent job of that, Mr. Chesco. You can listen to all of our shows and also the Vimeos from our show guests. We have a photo section, a list of the websites of all our guests. So check out our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Lou LaRoe, Taylor & Heather, BobSullivan'sLikeYourAge.com. Just go to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, and click on each of their displays to transfer to their websites. And, yeah, I do try to write a couple of things a week. I got some good reaction to that review I put on the site last week of the new movie about Chuck Wepner, Chuck, including lots of comments and retweets on Twitter, including a retweet from the star of the movie, Liev Schreiber, which was pretty cool. So that was, uh, you know, kind of nice. That is pretty cool. Well, hey, Chet, we have an old friend coming back to join us next week. Tell us who's lined up to be back. Well, you did the legwork on this one, my friend, but, yeah, I know who it is, so I'm going to tell you. It is a frequent visitor to our show, a former Philadelphia Eagle, a former Eagles radio post-game show host, a terrific motivational speaker, and an all-around great guy, I might add, Kevin Riley, who will be making his seventh visit to our show. Also, our pal Steve Switkowitz is going to stop by. Switt will talk a little hockey and tell us about a few cool things that he is promoting this summer. Very good. Well, hey, Chet, as a follow-up, I have the information in my possession on how you can attend the 25th Dick Vermeil Annual Boy Scout Golf Outing at the Downingtown Country Club, which Kevin is going to talk a lot about next week uh, because it's probably going to be the last one that Coach Vermeil is going to do. So for those interested, drop me a private message. I'll forward you the information just for the dinner and the auction, not the golf. Uh but both are great, as you, you know. Both are great. Uh, it's $100. There will probably be 25 to 30 or more Vermeer-era Eagles there. Uh, all are very approachable for conversation or autographs. The auction items are great as well. Uh, our buddy Ray Dininger is there. Uh, Harold Carmichael, Mike Quick, Ron Jaworski, Wilbur Montgomery, Jerry Sizemore, uh, Frank LeMaster, on and on and on of that era of Eagles. Bill Bradley, um, it's a great time. 
Yeah, it is. We were there last year. It certainly is. And uh, by the way, I saw Jaws today along with John Cruck, Brian Westbrook, and our pal Jason Stark. I'll post some pictures tomorrow. They were all at a 97.5 The Fanatic event in Center City, Philly, that raised money for the American Association for Cancer Research. So I took the afternoon from work off and went and uh, hung out for a couple hours. Had a nice chat with Jason, by the way, who's taking it easy this spring and summer, enjoying life after getting laid off by ESPN a few weeks back. So anyway, good to see all those guys. I just said hello to Jaws, and uh, you know we will see him next month, June 20th. Yep, well, and that's what I was going to say. June 20th, Downingtown Country Club uh, in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. If you're interested in going to just the dinner and the auction portion, $100, send me a message. I will send you a, uh, you know, a private message through Facebook, and I will send you the information for that. It's going to be fun, Chad. Yeah, I'm we're looking, looking forward, forward to having Kevin. Yeah, looking forward to yep. having Kevin on, Kevin on next week. What a great guest. Well, yeah, and, you know, Kevin, uh, we got to get an update on his book that he was writing. If you remember last time we had him on, uh, he told us for the first time about a book. And quite Mm -hmm. frankly, other than to get a message from him, uh, go back and forth with a message about him joining us, I did not talk to him directly. (coughs) So I don't know the status of the book right at the moment. But uh, I'm really looking forward to that because you and I know a good portion of, of his story, Chet, and I think it's going to be a fabulous read. Oh, absolutely. And we know what a great motivational speaker he is as well. So uh, I'm sure it'll be great in print as well. You bet. Well, Mr. Chesco, we are actually a few minutes ahead of schedule. But uh, do you have a, spar- a parting shot, sir? Or a sparting shot, yes. Sir. Yeah, yeah I do. whatever that was. Uh, <laughs> whatever it's called. If you follow me on Facebook, you know that I had a little mishap last week. I was talking to my wife near our pool when I turned to start walking, not realizing I was as close to the edge of the pool as I was. I fell right into the pool, banging my right knee and ankle pretty badly on the way down. I'm sure it looked pretty funny. And matter of fact, my wife, after confirming that I was neither concussed nor paralyzed, had a tough time controlling her laughter. Meanwhile, I thought right away, damn, I'm officially old doing something like this. But in thinking about it, I recalled nearly slicing a finger off with a bagel knife nine years ago. What a bloody mess that was. Fifteen years ago, part of my body went through a bedroom ceiling from the attic above as I was trying to run a new TV cable line. Another classic occurred 12 years ago, rushing to a meeting at Bloomberg's offices in Manhattan with a full cup of coffee in my hand. I speed-walked into a glass wall, the coffee spilling all over, and although I didn't go to the doctor, I'm pretty sure I gave myself a concussion. So, no, I'm not suddenly a senior citizen starting to lose it. I'm just continuing my tradition of being something of a klutz. And one side note, when visiting my doctor Monday to have my knee and ankle checked out, I asked how soon I'll again run a 4-3-40. My doctor chuckled, chuckled and said, I feel confident in telling you you'll never run a 4-3-40. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, Chet, I have a quick parting shot, and it has to do with the Phillies. And if you're as old as you and I are, we don't want to quite give away that age. You just mentioned that you're old. We lived through the 1969 through 1973 Phillies. And in that time, they won somewhere in the neighborhood of 63 and 59 games. If not for Steve Carlton in 72, it would have probably been the worst Phillies or worst baseball team ever. It was certainly the worst Phillies team. 
We feel like we're in that same position right now with the 2016 Phillies. But just remember, as we try to have high hopes, that just four years removed from that 1972 debacle, a young Mike Schmidt and a young Greg Lozinski became stars in Major League Baseball. And we went on what at that time was considered the greatest run of Phillies baseball until recently. So we'll keep our high hopes. We'll root for the Phils. And as hard as they are to watch, there are better days ahead. Sounds good. And I hope you're right. I'm hoping. (laughs) All right. Anything else, Mr. Chesko, as we have about uh, a minute and a half, or we're going to shut her down? Well, let's see. No, happy Memorial Day weekend to everybody. Hope everybody has a nice weekend planned. Um, My son has a prom Friday night, which is kind of exciting. He's a senior, so going to the senior prom. I'm going to an anniversary party on Saturday, hoping the weather holds out because there's been a lot of rain lately and probably a little more on the way this weekend up here in the Philly, Jersey area. So, yeah, have a nice holiday weekend, everyone. All right. And, Mr. Chesko, just for the record, I may see you in a couple weeks. I plan on being up there over Father's Day weekend. And, uh, well, I will see you at the at the golf outing. Yeah. But maybe I'll get to see you uh, otherwise and get to see come back and see some old friends. So, uh, looking Absolutely. forward to that. Going to spend four or five days uh, over Father's Day weekend. Of course, spend it with my dad, who is getting ready to be 88 years old very soon. So, try to try not nice. to miss them anymore. Miss too many. All right, so hey, we are here, Chad, we're at the top of the hour, let's thank our special guest, Leslie Gazelle, Irish Rover Station House, Lula Road, Taylor and Heather, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chachesco, this is Bill Furman, we hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, May 31st at 7 p.m., when Kevin Riley joins us. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the internet, at www.blogtalkradio.com slash Philly Press Box Radio or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and now MixCloud. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Hi.